Thank you, Paul. Um, yes, um, I'm mildly excited. Um, it's when I start that people decide to call me. <laughs> so I'm slightly mildly excited about tonight. Um, but before we um, press on, um, can I just get a quick recap of what people remember from last week? Uh, just for the benefit of our guest uh, tonight. Um, so for those of us that were with us last week, what do you remember from the session that we looked at last week? So the floor is open. And just for our guest again, what you find is the floor is always open at different intervals. Um, feel free to speak. Typically, people don't talk, um, either because they don't have anything to say, but don't feel upset about the silence. It's just something that we do. But yeah, anyone can speak at any time, okay? Um, so yes, so can anyone give us a recap of what they remember from our session <laughs> last week? I think one thing, thank you, Fola. Uh, one thing that has stayed with me uh, in all the sessions has been there is only one God. I mean, there is only one God. There is only one God. And it has sticked to me. It's, yes, I know before, but it has come to my, it has come anew to me, and I'm conscious of that. There's only one God. There's no two other gods. There's only one God. Thank you. And uh, on the back of what Paul said, one of the things that we also established was um, in saying that there is only one God, uh, all, all, all idols are not God. Um, so as humans or as um, people that might worship uh, idols, um, as far as God is concerned, is the only one and true God. Uh, so one of, that's one of the things we've established. Now, can anybody remember anything else that we said about the Trinity? I know last week's session was a bit more complicated than the usual ones. Um, but uh, if anybody remembers uh, what we said about the Trinity, Paul, feel free to speak again if you remember. Um, but yeah, if anybody remembers anything else from last week. I remember. Um, oh, I'm sorry, Edith, were you going first? Oh, go, no, ahead, no, no, go ahead, go ahead. No, 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 you do it. Yes, ma'am. Um, there is only one God. Um, when did the idea that God is three come it's in the bible god manifests himself in three ways which is the trinity father son holy spirit um each person within the trinity is god so god is the father god is the son and god is the holy spirit um the hold on throughout the old testament god manifests in more than one and you gave us some scriptures the Holy Spirit descended onto earth in Matthew 3, 16, verse 17. And the Holy Spirit can be equated to water. It is a liquid form. It has a ice form and it has vapor, but it is all water. Just like God is God, and the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Thank you very exciting. much, Penny. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. My room members are doing great. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Edith, I think you wanted to say something. So what Vinny wanted, uh, said, that was basically what I was going to say. And Vinny, you did a great job because I wouldn't have like delivered it how you know you did. So bravo, Edith, <laughs> bravo. Brava. So yeah, yeah. bravo. Um, and thank you so much, uh, Vinny. And yeah, I think it's also worth mentioning again that you know with comparisons that people have made historically in terms of using water, for example, as a comparison to the Trinity, there's always limitations to that because in the case of water, you can't have all three states coexist at a particular point in time. 
However, when it comes to the Trinity, all three of them, all three members of the Trinity coexist at once. So you have God the Father being present at Jesus' baptism. You had God the Son being baptized and you have the Spirit of God, uh, God the Spirit uh, descending on um, Jesus as it like a dove. That, like a dove so um there's always limitations to this uh different analogies that people have used uh, so i think that's something we just need to bear in mind when we use um comparisons uh to describe the trinity so the session for today and next week is exploring god the father um so the first person of the trinity uh god the father and that's what we're looking at um today i'll just give us a quick outline of uh, what today's session is going to involve so we're going to make a distinction between god the father and god the son and god the spirit uh, so that's the first thing we'll explore and also this goes back to a question that paul raised a while back and i'm not sure paul if you remember this but you were talking about I how still remember we... it. i still remember it i yeah. have very terrified that i was going to mention it that you're owing me the answer good I remember. um so it's just this idea that when god has been mentioned in the new testament the majority of places that the word god is mentioned in the new testament is referring to the father uh, to be distinguished from the lord jesus christ okay so that's the second one um and then the third one has to do with the attributes of who god is um the nature of god in terms of how do we get to know this god uh, and also how does the bible describe him all right so those are the key areas that we will explore tonight so i'll just go through that again the fact that the father is distinct from the son and the holy spirit um the reference to god in the new testament is always about the father uh, in majority of the places um the nature of the father and also how has the bible revealed the father to us uh, and so those are the key areas that we would explore uh tonight all right so looking at the very first one um and i'll just recount a conversation that jesus was having with his disciples so this is from john um chapter 14 and philip said you know um that jesus should show them the father um and in fact I, ge I guess maybe i'll just go through the backdrop so jesus had told the disciples that if you've seen me you've seen the father if you've seen me i.e if you've seen jesus the son you've seen the father and in the same breath so this is from john 14 verse 8 to 9 john 14 8 to 9 philip said show us the father um and and think about it this way right so if you had a brother and everybody has always said you know your brother is like a carbon copy of your dad and not just yeah they look very similar and of course your brother makes this claim that if you've seen me you've seen the father and then somebody else then asks your brother again okay you need to show us the father for jesus it was a case of you know i've just told you the statement that if you've seen me you've seen the father and that's when it comes to getting to know who god the father is what it looks like what it feels like uh, literally by looking at jesus the son we see the father however in saying that in seeing jesus you've seen the father the father is quite distinct uh from the son and one of the ways in which we recognize the distinction is when it comes to the area of mission so there's a concept in theological circles called the mesio dei the mission of god in other words, one thing that we as Christians believe was God created the earth as being perfect in Genesis. I mean, I'm going through the Bible for myself right now. God created the earth, heaven and the earth as being perfect. Everything that God created was perfect, Genesis 1. 
However, when Adam and Eve sinned, they brought about the fall. So everything that God created that was perfect was become had become corrupt. Now, of course, we don't see that full corruption in the instant. It took place over time. So one of the things that God said to Adam and Eve was, if you were to eat of this fruit of this um, of knowledge of good and evil, you shall surely die. Um, and they ate of that fruit, but they didn't die straight away. Now, as a result of them eating of that fruit, they brought about the decay of mankind, or they brought about what we call the fall. And so this happens in Genesis um, chapter 3. Now, in bringing about the fall, everything that God created that was perfect became corrupt. Now, in the same breath, now I'm just explaining again the idea of the misio dei, the mission of God. In the same breath, God pronounced upon Adam, or upon the serpent, that um, the seed of the woman would indeed um, bruise your heel. Uh, in fact, let's look at Genesis chapter 3, please. Genesis chapter 3. Um, Genesis chapter 3. And I'm going to get us to jump to verse 14 and 15. Genesis chapter 3, verse 14 and 15, and I'll read. So this is the serpent that uh, that, um, uh, deceived the woman. And it says here, the Lord God said to the serpents, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. Nothing. Hello. You froze. Continue. I can hear you now. Oh, okay. Oh, sorry. My internet is unstable. Yeah, please do let me know in case it happens again. On your belly, you shall go and the dust shall eat all the days of your life. On the dust you shall eat all the days of your life. Now, verse 15. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and our offspring. You shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Now, at this point, God placed a curse upon the serpent, i.e. in the form of the serpent disguised itself as the devil. Now, in placing a curse upon the serpent, God also, in that same breath, gave hope to humanity. All right, so I'm going to read verse 15 again. I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and our offspring. Now, the offspring that the scripture is talking about here is Jesus the Messiah. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And so literally from the beginning, when Adam and Eve fell, God had a redemption plan to save humanity from the sin of Adam and Eve. All right, so that's the first instance in which perhaps the son is being mentioned indirectly in the Old Testament. And so God the Father recognized that, okay, you know what? Adam and Eve have fallen. He curses the enemy. He curses the serpents. And in that same breath, he gives a solution, or shall I say a redemptive plan. And so at that same breath, God the Father decides, okay, you know what? I'm going to send the son to bring about the redemption of humanity, all right? So that's the first glimpse in which we see the son. And so in God's heart, from the very beginning, when Adam sinned, he had sent across a solution. And so if we jump now um, to the New Testament, let us jump um, to the New Testament. And we're going to go to the book of John. Um, so just bear with me. Uh, if we go to John um, chapter 20, 
verse 21. John chapter 20, verse 21. Um, I'm going to ask for a volunteer uh, to please read. So whoever gets there first can please read for us. John 20, verse 21. And let us know what translation you are reading from as well. Okay, so I, I'm reading the message. Okay. John 20, verse 21. Jesus repeated his greeting. Peace be to you, just as the Father sent me, I sent you. Okay. So this is Jesus pronouncing or giving us a recap of his own ministry. So Jesus was, and we know Jesus as the Son, was sent by the Father. Okay. So I'll just repeat what um, Paul has just read to us. Just as the Father sent me, so and he says I'm sending you, he's talking to the disciples, but it, I think the first part is what I want us to focus on, the fact that Jesus was sent by the Father. All right. So we can see here there's an already and a distinction that from creation, God recognized the need for us to be redeemed from the sins of Adam and therefore put a redemption plan in place by sending Christ who appeared to us in earth, on earth about 2000 years ago. All right. So God, the father sent the son. Now let's look at the very last sending. And this is where it talks about the Holy spirit as well. Let's look at the same book of John chapter 15, verse 26. John 15, verse 26. Again, if there are any volunteers in the house, uh, please do read. Or actually, you know, I'll get two people to read. So somebody can please get John 15, 26, and then another person can please get John 14, 26. I have John 15. Uh, can you all hear me? Yes, we can. Thank you. I have John 15, 26. And I have the New Living Translation. And it says, but I will send you the advocate, the spirit of truth. He will come to you from the Father and will testify all about me. Okay, thank you. And if another person can please get John 14 and feel free, Cassia, to, to read the second one as well. John 14, uh, verse 26. I think Joey wants to go. Okay, Jose. Sure. Um, what is the verse again? John 14, 26. John 14, 26. Okay. okay. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Thank you for that. So again, we'll see in both instances that the Father is quite distinct from the Spirit. And so just recapping again, in Genesis, there was the fall. Adam and Eve sinned. Um, in them sinning, God provided a, a, a path for salvation. And that path included having the, the offspring of the woman um, in, in the person of Jesus coming to earth uh, as, as a human. And then also we see when Jesus is about to leave, Jesus also sending the spirit, the spirit to us. And so... Just again, to just reemphasize there that, that, that the Father is quite distinct from God the Son and also quite distinct from God the Spirit. Um, is there any questions from anyone uh, before we move on or any other reflection that anybody wants to share? So the floor is open.
Yeah, Fala, I, I know we've, um, we've uh, established that uh, the Trinity are equal, if I'm right. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm just trying to clarify this. I've always believed that. But uh, when we look at the operations and where it comes to play, um, just picking it literally from what we've seen, it's as if, uh, permit me to say this, it's as if uh, the God the Father is superior in some way. So you hear, you hear um, Jesus saying and said, I'll talk to the Father, uh, even when he was um, about to be captured by the Pharisees and they were fighting. Jesus mentioned and said, do you think I cannot fight for myself? I can pray the Father to send angels, legions of angels to command. So it's as if there's a reference to the Father. So um. I just wanted to clarify that and so so that I've always believed they are equal, but how do we merge that together? No, thank you. And I'm not sure if you remember what I said about and I used the analogy of the household, uh, for example, between a man and a woman uh, that are married. And uh, so we've got the biblical definition or biblical revelation that the man is the head. Um, of the household. Now, in saying that the man is the head, it doesn't mean that man and woman are not equal. So the both of them are equal, but they just have different roles. Uh, in the same way, when it comes to the Trinity, there's diversity by way of the role of each member of the Trinity is different. However, when it comes to value or being each of them being uh, the person of God, they're all the same. And one of the ways in which we know that they're all the same in terms of value it's just because a lot of the attributes of what makes God, God, in fact, all the attributes that makes God, God, can be found in the Father, found in the Son, found in the Holy Spirit. So I'll just cast our minds back. So one of the things I've said about how do we know somebody, if, some, if I was to come to you today and say, I am God, how do you know, you know, I'm not deluded? Um, so we talked about, I think, about six different attributes. Um, and I, I know, Vinny, you're giving me that side high, right? But the reality is there are so many people in time past that have said to human beings that they are God. I remember when I was growing up, there was this um, man that went into a lion's den in the zoo and he called himself Jah, i.e. God. So one of the names of God or the Hebraic name of God, sorry, Hebrew name of God is Yahweh or Jah. He went into the lion's den and he started calling Jah, Jah, Jah. Uh, only for the lion to devote this guy. I mean, this was literally on the news when I was growing up in Nigeria as a child. Now, we can all say that there was something wrong mentally to him because, you know, why would you go to, you know, a lion's territory thinking that you're a god? Now, we will say it is deluded, but to be able to identify that something or someone is god is we mentioned about, I think, six different attributes. The fact that they can be in more than one place at a given time. Um, they are all powerful. Uh, they are all knowing, they are immutable, um, and and I'll, I'll probably say if you guys can also refer back to those previous teachings. So that's what makes God, God. In saying that, I'm saying that all the members of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, all three of them have those attributes. However, they have different roles in the, in, in the Godhead. And so as human beings, we sometimes, when we see that there's um, different roles, we tend to equate division of role to hierarchy. So just because God the Father will tell the Son, I want you to go and save humanity, 
we tend to say, okay, maybe perhaps God the Father, the Father, God the Father is more important or more valuable than the Son. But as far as they are concerned, they are all united within themselves. There is no division because of their roles are different. Does that answer the question or not? Yeah, which one should I go for? It, it does, it does, it does. It's I mean, it sounds as if there's a bit of reservation. Talk to me. Yeah, oh. there, there's actually a reservation. Um, yeah, it does. Uh, the other perspective I'm looking, I'm sure you got my, my perspective about giving common things and which you've tried to clarify. But the other part of it is I've seen people who people dreamed and they've dreamed see vision, anything, divine revelation. But I've not, it's not common to see Holy Spirit. You only see Jesus and maybe by extension, you see angels, you see God. You know, I realized um, Holy Spirit is the revelation or, or, or the dimension of God that dwells with us, that is very available for us every time, anytime. But when you dream, I have not heard it. I dreamt I saw the Holy Spirit. We don't see Holy Spirit. When he said, oh, I saw Jesus, he came to me and said, I'm Jesus. And I don't think maybe I'm just seeing something. Maybe anybody here, just my my DC, and maybe I saw the Father seated on the throne, that kind of revelation. And uh, yeah, yeah. No, it's a good point. Um, does anybody want to comment um, on Paul's observation? Um, Um, hello guys. So I think with what Paul have said, I think most of the people when they say that they dream, I've heard you know people saying that they've seen Jesus, you know they've seen God or they've seen angels. But you know with the question with what uh, Paul was saying, I do believe that maybe the Holy Spirit is in us. So yeah, I do believe that the Holy Spirit is in us. So if it's in us, does it need to be reviewed again? If it's in us and if it's already like leading us and guiding us, I don't know if that makes sense. But yeah, that's what I was thinking. No, no, it's it's a good one. Thank you, Edith. <clears throat> and I think in, in in terms of when people say they see Jesus, they see God. Uh, and this is something I'm going to talk about tonight as well. Is the fact that no one has ever seen God the Father. Okay, so when people tend to say they've seen God, I don't think they they don't mean it literally that they've seen. A, the Yahweh. They haven't seen God the Father. No, they meant they mean it in the metaphorical sense. So, even the Bible talks about the pure in heart shall see God. No one has ever seen God, and the Bible actually talks about this quite a few times. So I'm going to look at that in a moment. In terms of seeing the Jesus, I think it's understandable that people see an image of Jesus, just because when it comes to God that has been made known to us in the flesh, that's the Son. That's Jesus Christ. Okay. Um, again, you wouldn't hear people saying they've seen the Holy Spirit just because it's a spirit. Human eyes cannot see spirit. You know, that's this on the old old King James, which sometimes call the spirit ghost, Holy Ghost, because you don't see ghost with your human eye. Um, and so, in terms of what we, people have seen, uh, yes, they can see Christ or see Jesus because he's the one that has revealed the Father to us. But in terms of seeing God the Father, uh, no one has ever seen God the Father. Uh, and we'll look at that in a moment, all right? So let's come back to that uh, in a moment. Um, all right, I'll keep pressing on. Uh, so one of the things I've just established here is the fact that God the Son is quite distinct from the Father, and the Father is also quite distinct from the Spirit. So in terms of the role, it's the Father that sends the Son, 
as well as sends the Holy Spirit to bring about the work of redemption. Um, and we see that throughout uh, Scripture. Now, coming back to one of the things that Paul mentioned a lot in the past, and I'm going to try to revisit that again, is the fact that when the New Testament mentions God, the Bible is really referring to God the Father, okay, which is quite distinct from the Son or the Spirit. Now, I'm not. To, this is not to say that there is no mention of Jesus as God. So I, I remember the scripture that Oboro gave us last week from Isaiah, when Isaiah made a prophecy about the Son shall be called Mighty God, Everlasting Father. Okay, so there are instances where Jesus Christ is also mentioned as, as the Father, but the predominant mention of God in the New Testament is being referred to as the Father, all right? So when you start reading your New Testament, and you see the Bible making reference of God is really, really talking about the Father, right? So let's look at some popular ones. Now, I'm going to get us to look at John 3.16. And please don't let us open that one because that's one of the most popular scriptures that everybody might know, um, especially if you've grown up in a church community. So um, the floor is open for someone to quote John 3.16 without having to look at the scripture. The floor is open. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Yeah, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Amen to that. Thank you. Thank you. Teamwork. <laughs> Indeed. So you see here that it talks about for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Um, so there's a distinction here that you could see that actually there's a mention of God, even though the son is also God, they are separated in that same verse. All right. So the God that love the world is really speaking of the father for the father loved the world so much that he gave the son jesus christ all right so that's the first scripture that we look at um another one to look at is galatians 1 verse 3 galatians 1 verse 3 galatians 1 verse 3 uh, if you have any volunteers uh please do read Grace to you and peace from God, the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So again, there's a distinction here between the Father and Jesus Christ. All right. Um, so just to mention ahead of time, when the Bible talks about, uses the word Lord in the New Testament, is really referring to Jesus um, in that context. All right. Um, but that this is a second reference that we've looked at. Um, and then let's look at... John 1 1. John 1 1. Uh, this is another popular one uh, that a lot of people have used. Um, so if anybody wants to volunteer, feel free to, to quote this one as well without looking at the scripture. John 1 1. John 1 1. Yes, In the please. beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and God was the Word. Amen. And the Word was God. Um, yeah. And so again, it says here, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God. So there's a distinction between the word and God, all right? But the God that is being mentioned there is the first God, mention of God is the Father. And the word was God is talking about that title or the role of deity, uh, all right? So the word being mentioned here is the Logos, the revealed word, which is Jesus. Uh, but the word God here is referring to God, the Father. All right, let's look at the very last one. Um, 1 John 
chapter 5, verse 11. 1 John, chapter 5, verse 11. Just for the benefit of those that have just joined us, uh, we're exploring God the Father today, and we've talked about this, the fact that there's a distinction between the Son and the Holy Spirit. And now we're looking at the mention of God in the New Testament. What does that really refer to? Um, so 1 John, verse 5, chapter 5, verse 11. And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, uh, Simone. So I'll just read that again. And this is the testimony that God, i.e. the Father, has given us eternal life, and this life is in the Son. The Son being referred to here is Jesus Christ, all right? So we see literally through all these examples that when there's a reference of the word, word God, the majority of the places is really, really referring to God the Father. All right, so I'm going to pause there. Uh, perhaps anybody has a thought, any reflection that they would like to share before we look at what the Father really is like. So the floor is open for any contribution, any thoughts from anyone. There is a thunderous silence, so I will keep moving. Now, so what is the father really like? I'm going to keep the floor open for this one. What is the father really like? Um, does anybody want to comment on this one? If somebody wants to say, describe who the father is, um, yeah. Jose, you were going to say something? Yes. Um, I think the first thing I would say is that God is holy. The Father is holy. Mm -hmm. I would say um, his loving kindness is it's forever. His loving kindness is, um, is very great. But I think the holiness is the, um, the main thing I wanted to say. Thank you. Okay. Anybody else? Isn't the father um, like the six things you mentioned can be in many places at once, all knowing, all seeing, all powerful, immutable, which I had to look up, which is unchanging. <laughs> and uh, two other, uh, one other thing I didn't um, get, but he is very forgiving. He is like a father in the true sense should be, mm -hmm. which is why the man is the head of the household because he's in the image of man right god is in the image of man and he is the leader of all who believe in him just like you would believe that your dad is the father and he's the leader of the family yeah. right vinnie i'm just gonna make a slight tweak to one of the things you said um man is okay. in the image of god as opposed to god in the image of man Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. That's what I meant. <laughs> that's what I knew. That's what you meant. But I thought I would just because uh, this has been recorded and uh, we, yeah, we don't want to make sure to that. that. Yeah, but no, <laughs> I, I think that's 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 very helpful. Um, I think what, what both you and Ose and um, Vinny have said is dead on point. And Maria, did you want to say something? 
No, I think um, Vinny sort of covered my point. Um, I was just going to say that God is a father. Um, and um, I think he exhibits this uh, fatherly figure um, through the love he shows us. Okay. Um, as our earthly father would show us love, uh, the same way God loves us, um, but I think he's probably more forgiving than our earthly father, so he probably wouldn't hold any grudges with us and is so kind and merciful. Thank you. Um, it's an interesting one because what everyone has said is actually true. Um, one of the dominant revelations of scripture is no one has actually ever seen God. No one. And so, you know, somebody might ask the question then, how have you guys come up with what you've told us about the Father if no one has actually ever beheld him? Actually, um, I want a better question for that. <laughs> you know, I've always questioned to see. I don't, I'm imagining God would be horrible. Do you know why? I was mm. thinking, so I was told God is my image, and I'm short. Here you stole that is 1,000 feet. So how does God fit in? If I'm God's image, I believe Fola is God's image also. So is God tall or short? You know, for a long year, I mean, is God dark or light? Or... Then later I got to know we are God's image, not because of our physical look, but in the spirit, there's no short person, there's no tall person, we're all equal. And that's how God looks. Good. Um, I'm glad you, you I, resolved I have the, a question. Kind of yes. Um, um, so no one, has, no one has ever seen God. But when Moses was talking face-to-face -face regarding the tent, who was he talking to? Um. That's a good question. And who was he seeing? Because it says face to face like friends. It's an interesting one because um, even in that Moses text, uh, I'm not sure whether that's where he actually mentioned it. That um, you can't, no one that sees my face will leave. Um, I need to check it again. But um, it was. So what we sometimes refer to, we sometimes refer to some of those appearances as um, a theophany, when God takes on a. A material form. Mm. Um, so whilst he was talking to God, yes, but in terms of the real God, the Father, he wasn't really uh, seeing the full image of God, the Father. I like to say that you saw a representation of God, the Father. Um, yeah, so I think that's the best way I can explain it. Okay, and I'll probably show some of the other scripture that refer to the fact that no one has ever seen God. So, um, the key one is this, um, and it's in John 1, verse 18. Uh, John 1, verse 18, and I'll just read that because of time. No one has seen God at any time. Okay, the only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father has declared him. I'll read that to us again. John 1, verse 18. No one has ever seen God. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father has declared him. And Cassia, I think the question you asked is, is, an, is an important one because even when Jesus was speaking on the Beatitudes, he said, the pure in heart shall see God. Um, so if no one can ever see God, how then can the pure in heart see God if it's impossible to see God? Now, the way in which I try to resolve those differences is sometimes we might see him through the eyes of our spirit, in the sense of we build an image of God. In other words, God reveals, he opens our eyes to see him, but doesn't necessarily mean that's the full revelation of who God is. All right. Uh, and even Paul talks about how God dwells in an unapproachable light that no one can ever see. 
Uh, and that's just who his nature is. He, no one has ever seen God. No one would ever, well, I'm not sure whether, I think it's fair to say that no one will ever see God. However, in terms of God opening up our eyes, is giving us a revelation of who he is um, to, to almost build him. So I remember as a child, I remember saying, oh, God appeared to me yesterday. And when I said that, I guess I meant it genuinely. But in reflection, I didn't actually see God, see God in terms of uh, his full form. Um, what I meant by that is I saw an aspect of his nature. But then I used that as I saw God, you know. And w- when it comes to scripture, for those that encountered God, like even Isaiah, in, when he cried, Oli, Oli, it didn't see the full image of who God is because no one ever sees God and is able to live. Um, he saw a form that God has pre- decided to present to him. Uh, for him to see. Does that answer that question? Okay. Um, Yes. From what the the story that was told in the Bible, um, um, I realized Moses did not see the face of God. You ended your saying by saying, uh, by saying no one will see God and still live, which I agree with. However, that's what God told uh, Moses to say, you cannot see me and live. Mm -hmm. By the way, you see my glory. So um, we know he's not seeing God, that this God, I'm seeing it in front of me, but we can't deny the fact that he saw that glory. He, the Bible puts it like he saw that glory. And at least seeing the, the glory, it's close. He's not seeing God, but at least he has something we don't have. Let me just put it like that. He saw a glimpse of something closer to that. So I'm just saying that Bible did not say he saw God face to face. No, I would just say, because I will hide you and when I'm going, and the Bible said he called and said, I'm already going. And you saw the glory of that. So yeah. do we now, can we have access to that glory? Maybe when people say they see God, maybe it's a, a little glimpse of the glory people actually see. No, thank you, Paul. And just, I think, just to refer back to what the scripture that Cassia used, I think it actually talks about, it uses the, that express term, actually, to say that um, it talks to God face-to-face um, in that specific text just to reiterate uh, that particular scripture. Um, but in you saying about the glory, I think, yes, a, a glory can be an aspect of his nature, uh, but it doesn't necessarily mean that's the fullness of himself. Um, but yes, I, I like that way, you know, that sometimes God reveals his glory to us. A glory is like a weight of his person, but in terms of seeing the fullness of who God is, no one can ever see him. All right. Um, let me see if I can find another scripture. So 1 Timothy 6, verse 14 to 16. Um, yeah, actually, 1 Timothy 6, verse... Sorry, 1 Timothy 6, verse 14 to 16. And it says here, that you keep this commandment without spots, blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ appearing, which he will manifest in his own time. He who is blessed and only potentate the king of kings and the lord of lords verse 16 is the important one who alone is as immortality dwelling in unapproachable lights whom no man has seen or can see to whom be honor and everlasting power amen okay so i'll just read verse 16 again and it's talking about the father who alone has immortality dwelling in unapproachable light whom no one has seen or can see to whom be honor and everlasting power amen
And I'll read another one from 1 John 4 verse 12. It says, no one has seen God at any time. All right. So this is just to reiterate this idea that when Moses saw God, and I like the way Paul has put it, he saw the glory of God or like a, a weight of his person. He didn't actually build the fullness of who God was. All right. And, and so that's just to uh, clarify that. Um, does anybody have any questions um, before we keep going? Or comments? I have a question. So does that mean that we see the Holy Spirit of God? Is is that what Paul said? Like no one's ever seen God, but when we when someone says they've seen him, is it that they've seen and felt the Holy Spirit? All right, let, let's look at another scripture, which is going to take us to where we need to go. It's John 14. And this is the discourse between Jesus and Philip. John 14, and it's possible that we might not use our breakout rooms today just because of the questions. I'd rather us um, exhaust the questions rather than going into breakout room uh, with unanswered questions, all right? Um, so my apologies for any potential disappointments, um, but I'd rather us just explore the scriptures before we go. So John 14, verse 5, and I'll start with from verse 5, okay? And this is to answer Vinny's question. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? He asked. Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And this is the punchline. If you really know me, you will know the Father as well. From now on, you do know me, and I've seen him. Actually, I read the second part of verse seven, seven again. From now on, you do know him, and I've seen him. So that's the very first answer to your question, Vinny. But Brother Philip wasn't convinced. So verse 8, Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Oh, Jesus is so patient. Verse 9. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing the work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe me on the evidence of the works themselves. All right, so if anyone was to ask each of us, have we seen the Father? In some respects, we can say yes, because we've seen Jesus through the lens of Scripture. So literally, anyone that has seen Christ or seen Jesus has seen the Father. And that's effectively why Jesus came, to show us who the Father was. And I'll read from the other scriptures again. Um, John 1 verse 18, and it says, No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten who is of, of the bosom of the Father has declared him or has made him known. And so for us as God's people, and I, I, it goes back to the original question that I asked, that you know, the attributes that Jose, Maria, and Vinny described to us, 
How do we know those attributes belong to God? Is because Christ has revealed them to us in himself. And so for us as God's people, we should be content by just seeing Christ. Because if we've seen Christ, we've seen God the Father. Remember Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. God is in, God the Father is in Christ. Christ is in God the Father. And so the two of them are like, they are one. Even though they are distinct from each other, but in terms of uh, unity, they are like inseparable. They have different roles, but they are one. All right. And I'm going to read another scripture from... Um, Hebrews 1 verse 3, um, before we look at some of the, and maybe we'll actually just reflect on this together. And it says here, Hebrews 1 verse 3 says, talking about Jesus, who being the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, who, whom he had by himself purged our sins and sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Actually, can I get somebody else to read in a different translation, please? Hebrews 1, verse 3. Any volunteers to please come off mute and read? Hebrews 1, verse 3. Okay, Hebrews oh. 1, 3. You want to go, Mary? Go. No, go for it. Okay, Hebrews 1, 3. Will you prefer amplify or message fuller? Which one? In fact, I'll prefer neither of them. Can you read the NIV, please? Uh, okay, NIV. Just because the NIV talks about, it uses the word son, so that we know yes, who's been son. referred to when. Sorry. Thank okay, you. Okay, so Hebrews 1, 3. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right end of the majesty in heaven. Amen to that. So I'm going to read the first section again. The sun is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being. And so the life of Jesus that we see on the, whilst Jesus was on the face of the earth, everything that Jesus did was a representation of who God was. And so when it comes to forgiveness, we get the sense that God is forgiven in the way Jesus forgave. When it comes to God's provision, we get a sense of God's provision in the fact that when people were hungry, Jesus provided for them. When people were lost, Jesus made a way for them. Uh, when people needed forgiveness and care, Jesus provided all that. And so everything you see in the life of Jesus is really a representation of who God is. And so to some extent, you and I, we've seen God the Father because we've seen Jesus. And it's important for us as God's people to be quite content in looking at the life of Jesus, because one of the challenges you find, especially in the world in which we're living in, which is people tend to describe it as a plural world, where people tend to say there are so many ways to God. Uh, there isn't one way. I remember once we did this program called the Alpha Course. So the Alpha Course um, is a program that was started by the church that, uh, <coughs> excuse me, Edith goes to. And it's almost like an introductory course uh, to Christianity. Uh, it's based on 10 um, classes. And there was a lady that came to one of our classes um, in our church at the time. And she wasn't a Christian. 
the gripe that she had with the program was, or at least with Christianity, was the fact that we positioned Christianity as the fact that only Christ is the way to God. In other words, what do you mean by only Christ is the way to God the Father? Or what do you mean by, you know, we are saying that outside of Jesus, there is no life. There is no eternal life. There is no way to heaven outside of Jesus. That's what literally that means. To be accepted by the divine, you have to go through Jesus. She had a problem with that because for her, it was a case of, it's almost as though I've narrowed everything to one person, you know? And for us as God's people, we need to be content in seeing Jesus as the only way to God. There is no other way to God apart from Jesus. There is no other reality of life apart from Jesus. And I'm going to read one of the scriptures that I mentioned again, and I'm going to use that to explain. And this is the one that talks about eternal life. Um, that, oh gosh, I can't seem to find it. Um, if, if I find it, I'll, I'll maybe use it. The fact that we can't have eternal life, in other words, life everlasting, life at the very peak of its peak, outside of the person of Jesus. Now, people have all kinds of experiences. I mean, the other day, um, a bunch of rich folks did an exploration to try to find the Titanic. You know, a lot of people said, you know, that's what happens when you've made so much money and, you know, you want to explore transcendence. You want to explore life beyond the natural, you know, and that's sometimes what happens. People start, you know, you start to get people saying they want to go to the moon because, you know, they've seen everything that the earth has to offer. And therefore you're looking for some a, a out of body experience. But whatever experience that we want to seek beyond the natural, we cannot find it other than in the person of Jesus. Why? Because that's the person that God has chosen to give us that out-of-body experience that we might want to experience. That transcendency, that sense of eternity is only or can only be found in the person of Christ. And so coming back to you know, who God the Father is or what is it like, to be able to know who God the Father is, all we have to do is look at the person of Jesus. And by looking at Jesus, we can indeed see who God the Father is. I'm going to pause there before we now explore maybe one or two attributes of what Jesus revealed to us. In case anybody has any comments or any questions, any pushback, feel free to speak. So, um, sorry, I have a question for that. Okay, so I've listened to what you have to say. I think I have the answer, but um, I just want to also like just like get your own clarity on that. So you said that we cannot have internal life except through Jesus. So in terms of like, so how do we, you know, so in order for us to like have the internal life, what do we have to do? Is it like, um, so what do we have to do? Is it like living the life just like Jesus or, or just believing that he died? So is it just believing or we have to like do some other thing in order for us to like have that internal life? I think I I have the answer, but I just want to like clarify a bit more. I don't know if that makes sense, but yeah. It does. And I think, Edith, I like that because, you know, for us as adults, sometimes the way we clarify our thoughts is by thinking out loud. And I think that's perfectly permitted um, in this group, especially. All right. Um, I'm going to give you a very direct answer, um, which is literally I'm going to copy and paste from scripture. 
because I want your faith to be anchored. And you might not be content with this particular scripture because I remember when I first read it, I wasn't happy with it. I just thought there was something more to this. It can't be this simple. Um, John 17, verse 3. John 17, verse 3. Because that gives the direct answer to your question. Do you mind reading it, please, if you find it? And Edith, it's okay if you don't mind reading as well for us, please. John 17, 3. Okay, sorry. So John 17, verse 3 says, And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So... It's just us believing that God has sent Jesus. Does that do it for us? That's just it. Yeah. You see, the word belief is a very loaded word. Mm. Um, and I know we've explored this in the past because to be able to really believe, you need to repent. There's that sense in which we need to turn away from our old ways and completely put our faith in Jesus. Uh, I'm reminded, is it Il song that song? I put my faith in Jesus. Uh yes please mary please help me here uh if you know the song no it is help me here firm foundation firm foundation that's the one yeah jesus my Thank well you. Done, woman. Thank you. And in fact, maybe well we'll, we'll sing that song at the end, um, just to reaffirm our faith. Yeah. But yes. So I think to answer your question, Edith, it's literally what you just said, um, to believe in Jesus and to know him. Um, and of course, as I said, that word is loaded because yes, we believe at the point of becoming Christians, um, but we don't just stop there. We continue to spend time in his presence so that we can fully see that glory or that person completely. Uh, but yeah, so that's what it is. Uh, I'm not sure if anybody else has any thoughts that they would like to re um, share. Um, I was also thinking about Romans 10, verses yep. 9 and 10. It talks about um, you, you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ to believe in your heart. That God has raised him from the dead and you shall be saved. Amen to that. Um, yeah. Maybe if that's another side to that same thing that you've mentioned um, in John 17, 3, um, literally putting our faith in Jesus. And honestly, that's what it is. I find that sometimes as Christians, we don't really, be, or not just Christians, as people, we don't take the scripture that Anna's said literally, or we don't hold on to it. We feel that there's a lot more. But honestly, once if somebody puts their faith in Jesus, that in itself will transform the person so that they can see who God is. Yeah. Okay, so it's weird, like how you made it sound. It was like simple. Okay, pretty much, I think following God is not simple. Let's not lie, <laughs> because when you start following God, then God starts changing your bad attitude <laughs> and making it better. <laughs> no, but it's so, true. It's true because you know before I didn't have a relationship with God, I I love to revenge. I love you know revenge and things like that. But getting to know him or getting to love him, then now I have to like let go and forgive people and like it's all about, you know, rainbow. For me, it's all about rainbow and positivity. And 
I am grateful for that because just serving him and knowing him kind of like changes the way that I see things and I see my life. So I'm grateful for that. Uh, to that. It's not as easy as, yeah, it's not as easy because you have to change those bad habits and become a better person. So, yeah. Edith, I, I, I understand what you're saying, that it's not as easy. Um, and I don't want to make it sound cliche, like, um, because I don't want to take away from the challenges that comes with the life of discipleship, because it's a hard life. But in saying that, it's also to recognize that the life we live is the life of Christ. And I think sometimes the challenge is we try to do things in our own ability, rather than in God's own ability through the spirit. And that makes it more difficult. Um, and that's why the Bible says again, you know, we should labor to enter into his rest because anyone that has entered into God's rest has ceased, for, ceased from all his labors. So my laboring of trying hard to be this person is sometimes where the challenge is because we are doing things outside of the flow of, as it's were, of the Holy Spirit. Um, but that's why God has given us the spirit to help us in our weaknesses. I mean, a weakness is something that is a limitation, but we have the spirit to help us. Can I say something else? I'm so sorry, guys. Please do. But now, yes, it's amazing, you know, what you've just said. But even when we're within the spirit, okay, yeah, Christianity, I thank God for that. You know, I've been serving God and everything. But it doesn't mean that the enemy is sleeping because we all know the story of Job, right? He was a righteous man. And what happened? So the devil still attacks, whether we're with God or not. He, uh, like, when we're with God, he attacks more because he wants to see whether we're going to stand and... For me, I've like kind of like experienced that. And I think, you know, when, you know, people talk about Christianity, they say, oh yeah, when you turn to Jesus, everything is fine. But no, the devil does not go on holiday. The devil deals with us. So it's just like being that intentional and knowing that God is still in control and knowing that, you know, whatever you're going through, whatever you're going through, that God is with you and he will strengthen you. So I just wanted to point that out. But yeah, Amen to you. that, sister. Thank you. Um, Maria, you've got your hand up. Yeah, um, I think you just touched on a scripture that I've always um, sort of wondered and sort of pondered on. And it's um, about seizing from one's labor and entering into God's rest. And I just wondered if you could please just um, expandate on that uh, scripture. Okay, I will. Um, so just to mention again, guys, I'm so sorry, we're not going to have a breakout room today, largely because um, I guess the session doesn't lend itself to having a breakout room. So my apologies for those that were in high anticipation uh, of going into the breakout room. So the scripture that I've just read is in Hebrews 4 verse 6. Those that, anyone that has, sorry, labor to enter into God's rest, that anyone that has entered into God's rest as ceased from is his work. So in that context, it just literally means very similar to the words of Jesus, that God's rest is a place where God is the one in control. God is, it's almost like a river, right? That's his rest where things are flowing. And when he says we should labor to enter into that rest, it means that if the river is flowing, make sure you jump into the river. That's I'm using in the metaphorical sense. Now, what does that mean in the practical sense? It just means that fuller, and I'm going to use a lot of the illustrations that Edith has used that, you know, when let's say, for example, um, I'm anxious about where money is going to come from tomorrow, or let's say I'm about to lose. And I, in fact, I'll use a practical example. Last week, I was anxious that I might lose my job. 
I don't know where the anxiety came from. There was just that anxiety, right? That I might lose my job. And I had to tell myself, be anxious for nothing, but in all things, repair and supplication, make your wants known to God. So in other words, I'm telling God, God, God I'm anxious about this. I don't know why I'm anxious about this. I'm placing it at your feet. So me laboring is making that step of telling God, this is how I'm feeling. So that's, that's laboring. And then the rest bit is when I'm allowing then that the spirit of God is now taking over my mind that actually, you know what, I'm no longer anxious. So the Bible is encouraging us to labor, to work hard, to walk ourselves into that rest, that place of where we are in him. We're no longer carrying any earthly burden. So now I've used the example of work. Other areas in which people can also use this is the fact that you might, you might have done something that is really criminal and you're like, okay, would God ever forgive me? The laboring you're doing there is to say, keep saying to yourself, you know, once I've repented, God has forgiven me. That's the labor you're doing. You're laboring to enter into a place of forgiveness. Not so much that God hasn't forgiven you, but your mind is playing hacked on you such that it's telling you otherwise. And so you're laboring to get into that place in which you're fully convinced of God's word. Because literally in God's presence, there's fullness of joy. But sometimes we don't experience that joy because we haven't positioned ourselves. So us taking that step is us laboring to enter into that rest, if that answers that question. Yeah, that's very helpful. Thank you. Yeah. And and the, another way to look at it is the fact that, you know, and and this is coming to mind because I've been going through the Bible from Genesis. On the seventh day, the Bible says God rested because his work was perfect. There was nothing God could add to creation. His work was done, 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 done. It's a bit like uh, Michelangelo doing some painting and there's nothing he can add to the painting. The work was done. And once it's in that place of done, Nothing can be added to it. And so the Bible says God rested, not because God was tired, but because his work was done. And so for me as an individual, I need to try to enter into that place where I'm realizing that everything that God has done for me is complete. There's nothing that Fola can do in his own strength. That doesn't mean I don't apply myself, but I'm saying that everything that God has done is enough for me. And that's God's rest. And me proclaiming that over my life is me entering into that or laboring to enter into that particular rest. Yeah, thank you for that. Thank you for that. I think the label from what you said, if I'll put it um, in another perspective, the label is to assess and not to create. It's about accessibility, assessing what has been created by God and not for us to create by ourselves. But I found out to the, I found out that human nature generally, naturally, we are created to just label. I mean it's when I come to work eight to five, or I do something, I feel value. If I'm not doing things, I just feel I'm not enough. I need to, that's how we are being created. That's human nature. So it takes me now saying, okay, I don't need to disturb myself. Let me just assess. God has done it. I don't need to struggle with that. And the other constraints we used to have is not alternative. I found out that people tend to believe God when there's no alternative. So you see a Muslim at the point of, um, maybe a plane want to crash. I think we have an analogy that some other in our previous lessons. When a plane want to crash, the same Muslim that someone have been preaching to to accept Jesus, just by mistake or by anxiety or by uh, fear, just say, Jesus save me, really. So you know Jesus saves, really. So because at that moment they don't have alternative, they just want something that will work. But many times in our labor, when we actually are trying to assess it. 
because the world provides us with alternative, we tend to weigh it and um, just want to weigh it and say, why not doing this? Like you say about money, and why not? Why not go and do this? Why should I wait on God's promise? I mean, but we find out that every human, when we are not having alternative, we tend to cling to what we have. We tend to cling, and God has so much done it that He doesn't want you to come to Him because it's just the only option. He wants you to choose. I found out that about God. He just wants you to choose Him, prioritize Him above all. He doesn't want to come and say, "I will." Just want you to choose Him. So the labor is to assess, and assessing is difficult sometimes because there are alternatives. Thank you so much, uh, Paul, for that uh, different perspective that uh, you shared on that. Um, I managed to find. Yes, yeah, sorry, go on. I think Nicholas put his hand. Up. Oh no, he was clapping for. I was clapping for Paul. He was clapping. Oh, he was clapping. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um. So the scripture I was trying to find, I found it now. It's in First John five verse eleven, and this is referring back to eternal life being found in Christ alone. First John five verse eleven, and it says, "This is the testimony that God has given us eternal life." And this life is in his son. All right. Uh, God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his son. All right. So I'm just going to go through a quick recap of what we've looked at so far, um, just because I know we've said a lot today. So the first thing I started off describing was the fact that the father is quite distinct from the son. And the son uh, is distinct. Sorry. The father is also distinct from the Holy Spirit. Um, even though I didn't quite mention it then, but all of them are one, but they are quite distinct from each other. And I also mentioned the fact that in the New Testament, whenever the word God is being referenced, is really speaking about most of the time, is speaking about God the Father. Of course, there are minority of cases where the word God is referring to the Son, but majority of the cases when the word God is being used in the New Testament uh, is referring to God the Father. I also mentioned that God cannot be seen. Or has never been seen and i know questions came up around okay what did moses see what do we mean by you know those that um appear in spirit they shall see god and i i said you know uh it's almost like a revelation that's what they see and i like what paul said as well that you know it's almost like a glory that god makes known to us um and then finally i said what is god the father really like and different ones gave different um examples of what the father is really like but then if god can be seen um how then can we see this god that or how then do we know about the nature of god and i talked about how jesus is the express image uh, based on hebrews 1 verse 3. now finally uh we're going to look at so what is the father really like uh what is the father really like if i can find my notes or the notes that i've looked at um so in terms of what the father is really like i think the best way to describe this is just literally to look at the life of jesus to look at the life of jesus so an example was you know a woman that was caught in the act of adultery and a lot of people have used this example that actually it wasn't just the woman that was in adultery there was also the man that was also in the same act but for some reason uh, the people chose to punish the woman but we see God demonstrate, or Jesus demonstrating mercy in that particular example. And so when we think about what is God really like, God is very merciful. God is very merciful. And there are other scriptures that actually allude 
to this as well. Um, God being the father of all mercy. Uh, and it's, I'm going to read from 2 Corinthians 1, verse 3. 2 Corinthians 1, verse 3. And it says, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. All right? God is very merciful. There's nothing you and I would ever do that God cannot forgive. Uh, people have described mercy as not giving us what we deserve. Now, the end of the law will give me what I deserve. So, God forbid, if I was ever kill someone, I know I'm going to jail straight away, and and I think that's right because you know that's an aspect of God's just justice. But in saying that, if I ever ask for God for forgiveness, I can expect, and I repent of it, I can expect God to show me mercy, just because that's His very nature. All right, God is a God of mercy, and so my encouragement to us today is: if anyone is feeling a sense of condemnation uh, for something that they've done and they feel that God will never forgive them, let's just remind ourselves that God is the father of all mercies. All right? No matter how much mercy we've seen on earth, God is the origin of it all. All right? So we've seen people pardon uh, people in terms of forgiving debts. Um, I know, I think in American universities, uh, I'm not sure if they do all this called Jubilee where they cancel people's debts or give, you know, um, that sense in which Whatever debt you have, they'll just cancel it. And we see that in the Old Testament, at least, where, you know, uh, there's the year of Jubilee where, you know, every person's debt is written off. Um, but it's just to say for us as God's people that we should see God as the God of mercy that, you know, when we fall short of what we're meant to do, we can run to the Father and ask him for mercy. And we also see even in the life of the prodigal son, you know, the guy didn't do anything that was deserving of mercy. Um, but his father was able to show him mercy. And God, Jesus used that example to, to illustrate to us an example of, you know, God reaching out to us, uh, living the night to night, so to speak, uh, in search of one. So, yes, so God is the God of all mercy. Um, God is also our provider. Uh, we looked at this before, um, that's Jehovah Jireh, our provider. Um, and we see that, for example, in the life of um, Abraham. Uh, when he was about to um, kill his son, that God made a provision uh, for sacrifice. And it's the same with us, that whatever we need as God's people, uh, whether it's grace to overcome our weakness, I know um, it is talked about, you know, human weakness and, and so on. God is a provider of grace. Um, I remember once my friend was saying to me that, oh, Fola, it was actually, it had a lot of pressure on him at that time. And I'm so grateful that, you know, God gave me the scripture that, you know, God is our ever-present help in time of trouble. So when you're faced with a sudden calamity, a sudden stress, a sudden anxious moment, see God as the God of all grace that is able to help you in that very moment, all right? So that's another aspect of God, that God is a provider of grace. God is a provider, and not just of grace, but also, you know, provider of forgiveness, provider of pardon, provider of anything you could ever imagine. All right, so I'm going to pause there um, in case anybody has any thoughts, any reflections uh, before we sing that song and then close for the after party. I think I saw someone's hand up a moment yeah, ago. Yeah, it was, it was me. Um, okay, please go ahead. I was thinking I lower the end because I was thinking about taking it to after party but since we're already rounding up, um, one is up, it's up. Should I say discussion? Maybe. So here in the part of uh, the country, 
there's something that happens when anyone caught in their relationship hoping to get married when they uh, will I say make mistakes or they have intimacy before then and the girl oh, you mean they have sex before marriage is that what you're saying okay <laughs> I mean yeah it's okay to mention sex we are all adults here um it's pejorated it's all right um but <laughs> sex is God's original idea anyway keep going sorry so if they have sex before prior to marriage and um two things are involved I'm talking regarding to God's mercy so some people in their own design it's not lead to pregnancy so they will thank god i thank god for mercy so in fact most time they kill it there they don't expose themselves just there they say we'll not do it again don't come to my house i'll not come to your house since it's it's but to some it leads to pregnancy and you can't hide it you can't hide it. so in that case they'll be put on kind of suspension disciplinary action here is where i'm going so in that process Many of them, when they are going through that disciplinary uh, process, um, some of them may be, the disciplinary process may be ridiculous anyway. So the child sometimes dies. So you know what people will say, oh, thank God, I've obtained mercy, because the child died. So it's a form of them to say, oh, God has forgiven us, the die eventually died. Now we can have our white wedding garment or things. Do you think God's mercy is actually what killed the guy? Because people come out to just say, oh, it's a form of God. It's just telling us, yes, forgiving us. Now we can have our white wedding since there's no pregnancy there. But I want to believe God is not wicked. He won't kill that child because he wants to give you justice. Don't do that. That's why I said maybe it's something for after party. Um, I, I mean, two minds whether we should actually start the after party now. You know what? Let, no, let's let's pause. Let, let's pause. I don't want to miss this song. Please let's listen. No, let's to let's song. pause. Um, right. and we'll close with the song, and then we'll come into this. Um, because actually, I didn't realize that's where you're going with the with this particular one. Um, yeah, but no, it's it's a it's a good one because I've I also have very similar stories that um, yeah, are very similar on the same points as well, which I would like to bring up. But uh, we'll close the session. Um, by listening to that particular song that I was singing. So I was trying to remember the lyrics. I managed to find it on Google. Thank God for Google. Um, and um, we use that as a means of worshiping and just to quieten ourselves as well. And then we'd address or explore the question that Paul has raised in the after party. All right. So I'm going to stop the recording. <laughs> 